We are continuing our Practicing Shalom series this week with a look at how this concept, that God offers us shalom, holistic well-being in all facets of life, how that intersects with creation. And the first thing that popped into my mind when I thought about the opposite of shalom for creation was big cats like lions in a zoo. There's a free zoo in Chicago, the Lincoln Park Zoo, that we used to go to very regularly when the boys were younger because it's pretty great. Chicago, a really great city to have preschoolers in, by the way. I highly recommend it. (laughs) Well, there were lions in the Lincoln Park Zoo, and young Riley and Peyton loved to go right up to the glass to see the male lion right on the other side. We have pictures of them with a lion's mane practically framing their faces, literally inches away right behind them. And we always knew where that lion would be when he visited, because that male lion was always pacing back and forth right in front of the giant window. Always. It was kind of a stark juxtaposition. The joy of the boys seeing this majestic creature so close, and the plain-as-day fact that this majestic creature was not right. A shell of itself. I've never seen a big cat in the wild, but I know that they do not pace back and forth and back and forth and back and forth day after day after day. I think so many of the ways that you see lions in nature documentaries and that sort of thing, they point to the mental side of things, the mental engagement and variety that comes from a creature being in their rightful physical place. An animal's physical environment doesn't just impact their physical health. It also impacts their mental health. And the same is true for humans. I've mentioned before in connection with this series, the book Lost Connections by the journalist Johan Hari. And one of its chapters is on nature. He outlines a number of scientific studies that have shown that a connection with nature can have a significant impact on the mental health of humans. One found that significant impact when comparing those who had moved from more rural areas to cities with those who moved from cities to rural areas. Another found it when looking at similar regions of cities in terms of socioeconomic and other factors, but where one neighborhood had significantly more green space than the other. Another found it when comparing people who went for a run on a treadmill versus a run outside. One study had people who lived in cities go take a walk in nature. They all saw an improvement in mood and concentration, but the effect was five times greater for people suffering from depression. And then one final study to mention, it looked at the medical records of prisoners at a state prison in Michigan, where half of the rooms faced the woods and the other half faced the courtyard. The nature-facing prisoners were 24% less likely to get physically or mentally sick. There's an evolutionary aspect of this. Humans, scientists believe, evolved out of the forests of Africa as an ape ancestor left the trees and began to increasingly look for food on the ground and then on the savannas and in the other habitats around Africa. This was more than 4 million years ago. And from that point until roughly 12 to 20,000 years ago, the precursors to humans and Homo sapiens themselves lived as hunter-gatherers. And it's only at that point, 12 to 20,000 years ago, that the earliest cities began to appear, as stockpiles of farmed grain allowed larger chunks of society to employ themselves in non-hunting, non-gathering sorts of ways. In other words, if we restrict ourselves just to the Homo genus, humans have lived almost exclusively amongst nature for roughly 99.3% of our existence. We are evolved to be in nature. It's part of our very genetic makeup, our DNA, just like it would be for a lion. Now, there's also a theological aspect to this. When the Bible wants to tell a story about the origins and purpose of humanity, 
it sets that story where? In a garden with humanity being created out of the stuff of nature and then placed amongst nature to cultivate it and to fill it with God's goodness and to rule over it wisely. This is in contrast to many of the ancient Near Eastern stories that connect civilization's roots to the building of great cities. A couple of weeks back, I was doing something in the late afternoon and our boys called to me from across the house, daddy, daddy. And I, I was in the middle of something and didn't really want to be interrupted. And so with a bit of an edge in my voice, because why were they yelling across the house instead of just coming to where I was if they wanted me so badly? I responded, what? Come here, come here. <sighs> why? Why did I need to come there? Couldn't they just tell me whatever it was so I could keep doing the thing that I was clearly in the middle of? But knowing that just getting it over with was for sure the fastest way to get it over with, I slumped down the hallway from my bedroom and the boys were standing at the window. Look, they said. And it was one of those postcard sunsets you get from time to time, an explosion of orange and blue and pink and yellow and red, the kind that leaves your mouth agape at the wonder of it all. If you stop long enough from whatever silly thing was occupying you and walk all the way down the hallway to see it, it was beautiful. And they were so excited to show it to me. Why does a sunset, a mountain, a beach, a tree, a field of flowers, a bird, a big cat, why do they have that effect on us? Because cultivating and enjoying the stunning beauty of creation is what we were made for from the beginning. But, as Lost Connections argues, and as Genesis 3 dramatizes, we have become, on the whole, disconnected from the nature that is our home, and which gives us our purpose. And this has had a significantly negative impact on our mental health, just like it would for a big cat. It's also had a negative impact on other aspects of our environment, as we are all aware. Our choice as a species to dominate and exploit nature instead of stewarding it wisely and in harmony with the character of God, it's having disastrous consequences for both nature and for us. I read an article recently about California's shifting policy toward beavers, of all things, which were once abundant, especially in the northern and mountainous parts of the state. And then they were almost hunted to extinction. And they've been seen mostly as nuisances to farmers and to the levees that hold back the winter rainwater and which beavers love to burrow into, which weakens them. But as far back as 100 years ago, we knew that there would be mutual benefit, holistic shalom, if you will, with a different approach to the creatures. This is a quote from the article. Division biologist Donald Tapp explained why in a 1942 report, it's now understood that soil erosion and shortage of water in some places resulted from the destruction of the beavers, which formerly built and kept in repair dams on the upper reaches of many streams. The dams were the effective means of impounding waters of the spring runoff and of distributing them slowly downstream throughout the summer. What we're coming to realize is that caring for beavers well would have a positive impact on both flooding and drought, two problems that I think it's safe to say California could use some help with. Caring for nature in other words, would allow nature to care for us. There are too many examples of this to list out, but I read another article recently that some therapists have started doing sessions out on walks through the woods or through a park, even in rain or snow, and that they believe, unsurprisingly, if what I'm saying is at all true, that the changed environment for therapy might be beneficial to their patients. Today, instead of 
how to rule over creation. I want us to focus on the mutual benefit that comes when our caring for creation results in us being cared for by it. Our God is a God of mutuality in so many ways. Why would this be any different? When we were together live, we told some stories together about how nature had cared for us in many different different ways. And then we talked through a practice that we could engage with. A practice of reminding ourselves that when we care for nature, nature is also caring for us, that there's this mutual benefit that is happening. So we encouraged people to find some way that they could care for nature, whether that's pruning a garden or pulling weeds, taking care of a dog, feeding a cat, picking up trash, any sort of thing that is us caring for nature. And in order to connect that to who God is and to who God is inviting us to be, we talked about using a practice that we've used in other contexts before of breath prayer as we are caring for that thing in nature. Just a simple prayer that allows us to say the same thing over and over again, part of it as we're breathing in and part as we're breathing out. Something like, God bring me peace as we breathe in, as I bring peace to creation as we breathe out. God bring me peace as I bring peace to creation. Or if an example of how you might care for creation is not springing to mind, what about enjoying nature, enjoying creation in some way? Seeing a sunset, looking at a mountain, going for a walk, smelling flowers, enjoying trees. Is there a way that you could enjoy creation and allow it to care for you in that way? God bring me peace as I enjoy creation. So I'd encourage you to do that for yourself sometime in the near future, today, this week, that you would be able to care for or enjoy creation in some way. And as you're doing it, to have a simple breath prayer to remind you of the reality of what's going on as you do that. May God bring you peace as you care for and enjoy the creation that God has put us in. Amen.